to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Leo Miller. We are talking today again about all generations or about generations. I'm going to rewind a little bit. I spoke a couple weeks ago on generations, and I'm at the age now uh, in my 60s, and I'm at the place now in our ministry after having been here 33 years in one church as pastor that you begin to think about the generations to follow the handing it off so to speak to another and we will be in good hands at that place in that time in our church here at all generations we talked last time about Paul's last words were written in 2 Timothy. That was the last Bible book, the last letter that Paul wrote before he was beheaded for his faith. Paul wrote that. He knew he was sentenced to death. When he was writing that letter, he knew he would never walk the streets of Jerusalem again. He knew he'd never preach another sermon in Corinth on the streets. He knew he'd never get a chance to visit all the churches, encourage all the saints, and, or run from people that were then trying to kill him. They had now caught him. He was now sentenced to die and was awaiting his death. And he writes to Timothy, and he encourages Timothy. Really, in many ways, he was passing on the the baton, the torch to the next generation of believers, that you're to be faithful, you're to do the right things for the Lord, you are to make sure this gospel continues to go and to grow, you are to preach it, you're not to be ashamed of it, is what he tells Timothy in that second letter, and I'm going to go through all of it today, but he writes that to, Paul, to Timothy, because Timothy is a young leader. He gives him some instruction. He tells him, he says, don't you ever, Timothy, in many ways, he says, don't be ashamed of your heritage. He says, I remember your grandmother. I remember your mother, the faith that they had. And that faith now, I see it in you. How many of you want to see that same faith live in the lives of your children and your children's children? I met somebody a few weeks ago, I often do in our business that we have, a family business, a roofing business, and my son's working that, and I get so many compliments on them, and one of them was just raving, oh, that's such a good guy, and that and that. I said, well, you don't know what I know. No, no, no. No, I say that. I just didn't agree. Yeah, he's a good son. But they like the results, but they don't like the recipe. They like the results, but if I start talking to them about the recipe, oh, get out of here with all that, you know. You're just this, you're just that. But if you want to see that faith live in your children and your children's children, Paul is saying, you do these things, Timothy. He's giving him instruction. He says, you hold on to sound teaching. That was one thing he told them. He says, you don't stray away from those things I taught you. You don't be drawn away to things that are different from what you heard me tell you about the Lord and how I told you to live for the Lord and how I told you it should affect your life. There is an expectation in Scripture that your Christian faith should, should affect how you live your life. There's an expectation for you who say you are Christians to live godly in New Testament Scriptures. 
That is an expectation of Scripture. You see it all through the New Testament Bible. And so Paul reminds him of that. You hold on to that sound teaching. You don't forsake it. You don't depart from it. You hold on to it when I'm gone. I've given you that. It's your responsibility to move on and to move forward. He told him to fan the flame. Don't give up. Don't quit. Recommit. And we talked about that. Don't quit. Recommit. And so that's kind of where we left off at. I'm going to give you part two of that today. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. So Paul says here, he starts out with, don't be ashamed to testify about the Lord. That's what he tells Timothy. I'm, again, at that age. Y'all remember when I turned 60? That was a wild year, wasn't it? I use that. I'm 60 now. I can say what I want to say. I go somewhere with my kids, my kids, can't. you know, I used to when my kids were small, I would shush them. Shush. Now they shush me. You can't say that. Well, I'm 60. I can say what I want to say. They don't want to be embarrassed by their old man, you know. Uh, you know how, what I'm talking about. But Paul says, don't be ashamed to testify about the Lord. Paul doesn't say don't be afraid, but rather he says don't be ashamed. To be afraid would, would be to fear for one's safety, to be afraid that there, something may happen to you, that you might be put in jail like Paul was. But rather he says don't be ashamed. To be ashamed is different. It means not to be embarrassed. Amen. Don't be embarrassed to testify about the Lord. It means to suffer, to be ashamed means to be to suffer disgraced or to suffer dishonor. And Paul says, don't you ever be ashamed to testify about Jesus Christ. And he says, don't even be ashamed about me, a prisoner of Jesus, because of my faith in Jesus Christ. You could say that Paul was telling him, don't you be embarrassed to testify about the Lord, boy. He may not have said, boy. Don't you ever be embarrassed to talk about Jesus. Testify about the things of the Lord. You stand up and you stand in faith. Now, in our culture, Jesus is a pretty popular person. And that's okay. I mean, most people are not embarrassed to talk about Jesus, but it's about other things that the embarrassment part come in, the shame comes in. And I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that. We may ask, what might we be embarrassed about when it comes to the Christian witness? What is there to be embarrassed about? What is there to be ashamed about when we're living the Christian life? Why would anybody be ashamed about being a Christian or living a Christian life? 
It's okay to be a Christian in our culture as long as you don't live like a Christian. In this culture we now live in. It's okay to call yourself a Christian as long as you don't try to tell others about the Christian faith. Our culture has changed in the United States of America. In the years even that I have lived. Part of the shame is attached to this verse 9. Verse 9 says, who has saved you and called you to, a, to be holy. He has saved you and called you, called us to be holy. I believe that Christians sometimes suffer from what I would call holy shame. Holy shame. That there is that, that I think that Christians sometimes are embarrassed by the holy life. And we're called to live a holy life. Like they almost want to apologize for the things you can't do if you're going to be, or you're not supposed to do, or how you act, or how you're not supposed to act now that you are a Christian. There used to be there were certain expectations of a person when they came to know the Lord. Immediate expectations. Not so much now. We live in a culture that scoffs at righteousness. And we don't want to be considered haters, do we? They scoff at people who go too extreme with this Christian living thing and this godly living and this holy living thing in our culture. We see it in Jude, verses 17 through 19. He says this, My dear friends, you must remember that the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted, they told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their own ungodly desires. These people are the ones who create divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. Second Peter chapter three, verses three through five. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth, following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world the first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. And so the Bible talks about scoffers. And I think that sometimes as Christians, we want to avoid the scoffing. We want to avoid that hate, if you would. I believe there's holy shaming as well. That there's a culture that, that speaks against holiness, and scoffs against righteousness. The difficult thing is that sometimes the holy shaming comes from within the church. Christian culture in many ways has turned away from holy living. Y'all with me? I know this is tough stuff in this culture to talk like this. But Paul says you've been called to live holy. Called to live holy. And, and he's not just talking about positional. I know I'm holy in Jesus' eyes. He's talking about our conduct as well. Living a righteous life. That, that is part of our calling. Holiness has become kind of like that crazy family uncle that everyone tries to hide. You know who I'm talking about? Is he here today? Any of you that crazy uncle that everybody's always embarrassed of? Yeah. 
We always apologizing for that uncle. Oh, come on, come on. You kind of grab him by the arm, pull him away. Maybe your dad. I don't know. Y'all know who I'm talking about, don't you? Don't be that person. We make excuses for his behavior. Oh, he doesn't mean nothing by that. Always apologizing for him. I feel like Christians sometimes treat the holy life like that. They just kind of bounce around it and they don't want to be hated on. Apologize in some ways. Churches and Christian people want to be liked. And there's nothing wrong with that. We want to be liked. We try to make church appealing to culture. Make it a place they want to come and something they want to be a part of. But it's more than that. Church is to be an experience, a conversion experience in the life of the, the believer. There was a post in a, on a person's Facebook not too long ago. And it, they were in a pub, a brewery, and they had a picture of a Bible. And they had a picture, a mug of beer sitting by the Bible. And the post said, beer... Bible and bros. It was a men's Bible study getting together in a pub, in a bar, or whatever, drinking their beer and studying their Bible. Now you say, well, what is wrong? I don't know what you say about that. You obviously know what I think about that. First of all, the pub is no place for a Bible study. I can think of better places to do a Bible study. Well, the Bible says, let your light shine, brother. Oh, it's shining all right. Give me another one. And I don't think the beer was the best beverage for the Bible study. Some of you would be in agreement. I will clear it up. It was none of, on none of y'all's Facebook. All right. And it wasn't announcing... You know, anything you were doing. But it was, it was pretty much announcing a men's meeting in Bible study. And I'm just saying the extent we will go to be liked, to be wanted, to draw people, you know, I'm, I understand that. We need to be relevant to our culture and, and all those things. But we don't need to apologize for living a godly life. We don't need to be shamed into thinking living the holy life, the righteous life, is the wrong thing to do. Paul says, don't be ashamed to testify about the Lord. And he's talking to Timothy about that. And I think that we need to watch out. We should not be embarrassed or shamed when it comes to living holy. We, should, we don't need to be out there, we're better than you kind of thing. I don't mean that. And I don't mean being dogmatic and, and, and being ugly about those things. But we need to realize part of our calling is not just to go to heaven to be saved, but it's to live a holy life, to live a godly life right here. And you can do that. God can help you. It used to be the shame was attached to sinful living. Y'all remember those days? It used to when you've done certain things, that was the shame. Now, if you stand against certain things, you are shamed in this culture. You're made to be a hater. But now we have holy shaming. 
We make fun and throw hate toward those who embrace godly living in this culture that we live in. In many, many ways. And I'm just telling you that Paul here is, he's concerned. He's saying, look, I'm handing this off. He says, I want you to hold on to what you've been taught, what you've been given. He says, in the future, there's going to be people that make fun of godly living. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Peter talked about itching ears. And he, he warned them about all the things to come. But he says, you hold on to sound teaching. You hold on to what's been given to you. Paul was doing his part, passing and imparting that into the heart of that young disciple. And likewise, you and I have to do our part. We have to receive that message. We have to, with God's grace, live the way God wants us to live and impart these things in the lives of our sons and our daughters. We have to pass on to the next generation the calling of living godly in this world. And living righteously in this world. I know it's not a message that we soon want to hear these days. But we can do that. And the Lord can help us to live righteous in this life. And you should not allow and be feared. And be afraid of being shamed for what you believe and how you live. Paul also says... Embrace sound teaching. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. For God saved us. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me. A pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. He says, hold on. Hold on, embrace it. He says, guard that message, that pattern of wholesome teaching. Man, I long for the days when things were more wholesome in the American life, in Christians' lives. He says, you hold on to those things that are pure, that are right, that are wholesome. We live in such a difficult culture. It's hard to to find wholesome things in the culture we live in. But Paul says that. He says, you hold on to it. He said, stick to it. Hold on to what you were taught. Sound, wholesome teaching does not reflect the norms of culture, but rather biblical norms. That's what's sound. That's what's godly. That's what's right. I know that preachers, and I'm one of them, we want to connect and we want to relate and we want to be liked, and we want our sermons to be liked, and we want to communicate things to people, and we want to relate to them in ways and things they can hear and they like and all that. But we can't. What we teach has to reflect biblical values, not cultural values. However it is you package it, however it is you present it, the result has to be that we're challenged and we're encouraged and we're empowered to live a righteous life. And there's not a one of us that the Lord, we're all at different places in our life, but God can help you. He can help us. He can lift us out of where we were at. And so that is the challenge in preaching. And even, I would confess to you, I mean, 
What's popular these days is the, the little three-point pick-me-up, help-me-be-a-better-me sermon. The Lord doesn't want to pick you up. He wants to leave that one down there and raise up a new one. A new person. I mean, he wants to help us. Don't misunderstand me. But the Christian gospel message is a spiritual message. It's not just a self-help, better me, better you message. And there's a place for all those kinds of things. But God wants us to live godly. And this is what, this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Hold on to those sound teachings. Don't lose sight of it. There's a good example of it. Y'all with me out there? Well, last week we got out at 10 after 11. <laughs> last week it was almost 90 degrees at this point. <laughs> All right. I'm just looking around and wondering what your thoughts and your dreams are for your family and your kids, your children, your grandkids. What do you want them to be? What kind of Christian faith do you want to see? What kind of Christian life do you want to see them live? The one I'm talking about is not necessarily an easy one. It's one when people are going to wag their finger with a Band-Aid on it. So you just think you're better than everybody else. You just wait. It's, and it's not about that. It's just embracing biblical values and not giving in to cultural pressures that would cause me not to stand up for those biblical values. I'm not going to let you wholly shame me. I'm going to live for God, and I'm going to keep talking about what living for God means. Amen. Call it what you like. But you do those things in love. Paul embraces sound teaching. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Man, I'm going to read a lot of Bible here, so y'all get set. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. This is Paul again. Teach the older men. How many old men we have in here? Raise your hand, old men. Some of you. Yeah. Teach the older men to exercise, self-control, be worthy of respect. I want you to respect me. Be worthy of respect. A woman should marry a man she can respect. A man should marry a woman he can love. Because the Bible says respect your husband. Obey him, love, be, let him be, be his life's partner. And the Bible says love your wife. And so Paul says... Be worthy of respect and live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, similarly, teach the older women. How many old ladies do we have in here today? My wife's raising her hand. We're old now. Took us a while to get there. We ain't as old as some of them folks. I can tell you some stories. How many old ladies do we have in here again? Some of you are raising your hand. One way back there in the back. I'm messing with you. Hey, it's fun being old. Some things hurt more. 
Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. That must not slander, they must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. To live wisely and to be pure. To work in their homes. To do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men. How many young men we have in here? And young women, just young people in general. Yeah, encourage them. This is a word to you. So in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and having nothing bad to say about us. Slaves. How many slaves we have in here? Come on, kids, raise your hand. I'm just a slave. <laughs> Think I am your slave? That's right, boy. We don't have slaves, praise the Lord. But we have workers. And many of you are either an employer or an employee. Workers must always obey their employers and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Meaning their witness and how you work on your job is going to speak more about your faith in Christ than what you sometimes have to say. Let your work do your talking sometimes. And so this is some of that wholesome teaching. He says, old men, teach, teach and exercise self-control. Teach it and exercise it. Be worthy of respect. Be filled with love. And be filled with patience. That's Paul's instruction to us more seasoned men, we should say. That sounds better than old. And you seasoned women? He says, honor God. Seek opportunities to train the younger. Don't gossip about the faults of others and take care of your home. Oh, you don't tell me that. I'm just reading the Bible. And I'm not apologizing for it. Men live in a way that you can be respected. Amen? This is the recipe. What the Bible tells us to do. We strive to live these things. Younger people live wisely. Be a people of sound character. Don't let your youth be an excuse for doing foolish things. That's what he's saying. Don't let your youthfulness be an excuse for living crazy. Everybody's got to learn their own way. That's not true. And workers be good. Be a good employee. Employers be good. Be trustworthy. He goes on to say this in 2 Timothy chapter 11 through 15 as we close. Did I not give you that? Well, I bet you can find it. Verse, I can find it right here. I'm gonna, I wrote it down for some reason, so I'm going to turn there. And read it for us. Verses 11 through 15. It says this. 
For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. We are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to our God. While we look forward with the hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, so to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say is what he's telling Timothy. And so I am just empowering us to live godly today. The Lord wants us to live godly. It is our calling. It is the expectation of scriptures that you and I live a Christ-like life with his help. He will empower you. He will empower me to do just that. He will help us to do that. Adapt your beliefs, not to the culture, but to the Bible. Two takeaways real quick as our worship team comes, if they would please. First one is simply this. Your walk is your choice. Your walk is your choice. You hear this old guy up here preaching like an old man, talking about the old days, that old Bible, the things we should be living, but ultimately it's your choice. I don't get into your business. You live your life the way you live it. I try to preach to your heart and inspire you to, to live for the Lord. But ultimately, it's your choice. Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 tells us this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never, never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They're like worthless chaff, scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly. But the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Talks about two paths here, two walks. It's your choice. However you want to lead your family and lead your children and be an example, that is your choice. It is my responsibility to preach the message. It's your responsibility to choose the path. I encourage you to choose a path of righteousness. I'm not everything I hope to be. But I'm striving to be all I can be in Christ. You choose the path you're going to be on. Whose advice, whose instruction are you going to follow? Whose approval are you looking for? The approval of culture, approval of friends, the approval of Christ. Cultural norms or biblical norms? Which one will you give yourself to? Which one will you 
be most like biblical norms, biblical values, or cultural values. And the last takeaway is simply this. Anticipate holy shaming, but never be ashamed. Anticipate that if you were to live godly, it's not always going to be rewarded, not always going to be appreciated. You can do so, you can live godly without casting condemnation and anger on others. Amen? But we still have to stand for righteousness. John 15, verses 18 through 19. Would you all stand this morning? If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But if you're no longer part of the world, you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. I know there's a lot of, I know a lot about a lot of you, and I know how far the Lord has brought you. I know what God has helped you, and I know sometimes you've fallen and you've gotten back up, and sometimes that's what, that's what falling requires, doesn't it? Getting back up. Sometimes we're more inspired to be all we should be for the Lord than other times in our life. Sometimes there's seasons in our life that we are spiritually lazy and not, not being and doing everything we should. Wherever you're at with that today, I would start in with what I ended with last week when I preached on this. Don't quit, recommit. Just because it's hard, just because you failed, just because you've struggled, don't quit, recommit. The Lord can help you to live the way that He teaches us to live. Inspire to be all that the Bible tells us that we can be. God wants to help you. He has helped you. Amen? Bow our hearts. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.